AM 790 Talk and Business presents Water Fire Ignites Rhode Island with your host, Bronwyn Dannenfelser. Join Bronwyn to hear about the next Water Fire event in downtown Providence, plus other great cultural events happening in the community. Now, here's your host, Bronwyn Dannenfelser. Well, hello, 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 and good afternoon, and welcome to Water Fire Ignites Rhode Island here on your one-hour one talk show here on AM790, which is your station for talk and business. And we're here every Wednesday uh, bringing you behind the scenes and into Rhode Island's signature event that has been setting the state on fire for nearly 20 years now. So I hope everybody is enjoying this day. And, you know, it's funny. I know it's rainy outside, but it didn't rain last night when we had a water fire. And the forecast says it's going to be looking phenomenal for Saturday, which is our next full lighting, uh, which is going to lead me to my introductions of my two guests and what we can uh, expect coming up in the show today. Uh, of course, Saturday Huge, huge lighting, and uh, we're preparing for this full lighting, which is in celebration and honor of Brown University's 250th anniversary, which is just mind-blowing. That is, that's a lot of time, uh, and I, I'm really, really excited uh, that we have Eve Ornstedt here, who is the executive director of the office of the 250th anniversary at Brown University, and I'm sure has been working around the clock. I know that there have been celebrations that started back in the beginning of the year, and they're going all the way through. Um, so we're going to spend some time talking to Eve, learn a little bit about the history of Brown, um, what we're celebrating. Brown's such a uh, community-involved university. Uh, talk a lot about what they're doing at their outreach to our community. And uh, one of the things that I found really fascinating when I sat down with Eve originally was she was very, uh, and the whole group at Brown was very uh, strong and committed to saying, Bronwyn, this is not about us. It's our 250th anniversary, but this is really about us giving to our community. And I thought to myself, man, that is incredible stewardship. And when you see stewardship like that coming out of a university uh, or a higher education um any sort of institution, then you know that what is trickling down there has just got to be good stuff. So I'll be talking to Eve in a second and introducing her. And then in the second half of the show, as we know, on November 8th is the Water Fire Salute to Veterans. So every Wednesday from now until then, one portion of this show will be dedicated to partners that we're working with um, for that fire. And I will be so excited to talk to Jim Heyman, uh, nicknamed SEAL, and he'll be able to tell you about that a little bit later. And he's the chairman of the board of Rolling Thunder, Rhode Island, Chapter 1. Uh, Rhode Island, Rolling Thunder actually uh, participated last year in the ceremonies, and it's just this incredible group doing wonderful things for veterans. And uh, we'll have a little bit more of a conversation in the second half of the show about that. But now I want to jump in and say, hello, Eve. How are you? Very good, Bronwyn. Very happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thanks for taking the time. You know, I can imagine what it must be like preparing for all these events that you have going on for the 250th. It's been a busy number of months. It's been great, though. Yeah. And so, to, all right. We were talking yesterday on the phone. There's a big word, isn't there, for 250th? Sure. It is our semi-quincentenary celebration. Semi-quincentenary. Yeah. 
that thing. Yep. Right. Half of 500, half of 1,000. Well, yes. well, congratulations. That that really is a big milestone. Right. And can you give us a, when did you start celebrating this? Sure. Well, we actually kicked off the celebration of the 250th in March, March 7th and 8th of the, earlier this year. And we are extending the celebration for 15 months into commencement reunion weekend of 2015. And that will be May 22nd and 24th of 2015. So, it's a long 15 months. It's 433, 443 days, I'm sorry, of 250 years. So it's, um, but we feel that the institution is worth it and celebrating with our community is a very important part, as you mentioned, of the overall 250th. Well, I think when you told me, when you did your opening for the 250th, you involved students from schools that were all around the area? Right. It was wonderful. We really spent a lot of time working with representatives from various entities throughout the public education system in Rhode Island to work with school-aged children and determine that middle-aged students, we really wanted to tap that population. And we didn't want to just pick one school. That would be too challenging. So what we did is put an invitation, working with the superintendents, put an invitation out to every school district in the state to uh, bring, we invited the schools also to choose which students were coming. Um, and we ended up having a 34, a 34, 35 schools from around the state, from Block Island to Woonsocket, Westerly, Central Falls, and over 250 students joined us on our kickoff program of a day of academic discovery and exploration, basically um, a field trip to campus to meet with faculty and see student performers eating in our dining halls. And we thought it was a great testament that midway through the day, we were kind of monitoring any social media that was coming out and a student tweeted, this is the best field trip ever. So we felt like we hit the mark, which you was really great. did then. Yeah, absolutely. And to get, to get kids excited uh, right. about that higher learning and that education. Right. And not, not only about Brown, but just wanting to spark the, spark the fire in their minds that college is an option and that there's, and Brown is always an open campus, but to welcome them into a place that may be they pass by, but they don't always know that they're welcome to walk through the gates, come onto the green and just explore and discover all that's happening on the campus. Well, I know there's so many different and beautiful facets of Brown um, and, and your liberal, I guess your liberal mindedness. But I think before we get to there, I would love to go back and give sure. 250 years is a long time. Can you give us a little bit of a history? Sure, about Brown? I'm, I'm happy to. Uh, Brown was founded in 1764, and it is the seventh oldest colonial college in the United States. And the reason that it's referenced as a colonial college is because Brown existed before the establishment of the United States, which was something that really struck me. Obviously, you know those dates, you know when the country was founded, but when you really think about what that means and the history of an institution and how the world is different and how the world is similar from uh, where we were in 1764, and um, it really had a founding that was cannot be separated from the founding of the state of Rhode Island and uh, of the colony of Rhode Island, rather, in the work of Roger Williams and the thinkings of religious freedom. And the institution itself was founded and written into its charter that students would have religious freedom on campus. So perhaps in today's time, where you think a bit broader about what religious freedom meant, but in 1764, Brown was exceptional in imagining what an institution like it could be. It was founded also by a community of Baptists from Philadelphia who there were other religious um, inst affiliated institutions that had been founded, but the Baptists did not have sort of an, uh, a stronghold within higher education as it was establishing in the colonies. So 
identified who would become the first president, and James Manning was that. And first, the school was established in Warren, where he, James Manning, had set up a small school for boys. One student Mm -hmm. by the name of William Rogers, and I just find it very interesting that his name was the opposite of Roger Williams. Um, (laughs) That's fabulous. One student and one professor who was also the college president, James Manning, and um, there was quite a uh, tension between Newport and Providence also in where the official home of the institution would become and Providence won out and the college edifice was built in 1770 and the university officially moved to College Hill at that time. Because it was called what? The the College of Rhode Island? Yes, it was called the College of Rhode Island, and it stayed the College of Rhode Island until 1804. Not surprisingly, the college had the ambition to grow. There were nonstop philanthropic endeavors to try and ensure that, and one of the things that took place um, in the late 1700s, early 1800s, was a philanthropic effort to secure a benefactor uh, of a large enough size and therefore establish the name of the college. The Brown family uh, had uh, established themselves significantly in Providence, and it was their, I believe, the second generation um, for whom the third generation actually made a gift in honor of the father. And that is how the name Brown University was established. And I think it's so neat that it moved to Providence. Do we know why Providence as opposed to Newport? So the, um, a bit, yes, because the Brown family was very keen on it being in Providence. They had a stronger foothold in Providence than they did in Newport at the time. And also uh, the transit of Venus uh, and the observation of the transit of Venus was a very significant occurrence that took place during this time. And Providence was, if you know, transit and planet streets, which Mm -hmm. were um, named because of the observation of the transit in Venus and how successfully the transit of Venus was observed and impacted time and timekeeping. So because Brown had been involved in and the Brown family had been involved in um, the uh, actual observation of the transit of Venus. That was an additional reason that uh, Brown was or Providence rather was successful in um, landing the, as the home of the institution. Well, we're, we're certainly glad that it landed in Providence. I know. <laughs> I think that we love our ties to Newport. I will say that as well. I, and I think, you know, again, I love exploring now the history of, again, taking that whole idea of Roger Williams. And if we look at the history of Rhode Island, which we, we just celebrated, what, our 375th? Uh, was it last year? Or, yeah, it was last year. Um, and really basing an institution and education on, you know, the spirit of, you know, a school that accepts students from all religious backgrounds. But it's even more than that at Brown. Um, I know, what year did they start accepting women? Um, in um, I think 1891. Yeah, women were first admitted. There were six women who joined in that class. Mm-hmm. So always trailblazers. And when I think of Brown, I, I think so much of again that that liberal thinking. And um, I'm, you know, of course I'm I'm 40, so I've, I've only seen it over la- the past few years. But my husband had been the chaplain at Brown back in the 60s. So I, I hear many stories about you know the 60s and 70s actually um, about really the the free thinking um, and, and different doctrines that have gone we've gone through over the years at Brown. Sure, and I think that that is absolutely, if you've, if anyone has seen our logo, you've seen our logo, I know, and the, the word imagine mm-hmm. is 
a part of it's Imagine Brown 250 plus and the reason that that word imagine was chosen was not only to imagine what or think about or reflect on what Brown might be in the future but to really embrace the idea that Brown has been in a state of imagining since its founding since the charter was being drafted um, there really was this idea of there are models that are in existence. How could we be different than the model that is in existence? Um, Brown, for example, was one of the first institutions in one of its early commencements that rather than reading the names, I just learned this and I thought it was so fascinating, rather than leading, reading the names of the graduates by the order of their family's influence and uh, stature within society, they instead opted to read the names of the graduates by alphabetical order to make it more of an equal experience for all. So that, I mean, it's a small gesture, but it was a very meaningful one at the time. And absolutely, the enrollment of women um, in 1891 was incredible. That was, it had been worked on for years, but it was a breakthrough moment for the institution. Well, I think, as we know, constant change defines Brown's past and its future. And we're going to come back and talk Great. to Eve a little bit more about that in a second. You are listening to Waterfire Ignites Rhode Island on AM 790, your station for talk and business. And happy birthday, Brown, 250 years. And hello, hello, hello. You are listening to Waterfire Ignites Rhode Island, and I am Bronwyn Dannenfelter, your host. I am here with Eve Ornstedt from Brown University, and we're talking about Brown University's 250th because, of course, this weekend on Saturday, we will be having a full lighting celebrating Brown's 250th, and we just had a great little history lesson. I learned a real lot there, Eve. Great. Um, Thank you. About Brown and the beginnings of it, and uh, again, it's very kind of liberal um, kind of hilt that it has, but there's there's this great quote uh, from a Henry... What is it? No, it's Charles Evan Hughes, as he ushered in the tenure of Brown's 11th president, Henry M. Riston, said, It's always old Brown, and it's always new Brown. I am here to greet the new Brown of this era, to hail the dawning of a new day full of bright promise, or the brightest promise. And that, to me, speaks really um, to when I think of, again, Brown University and the curriculum, ever-changing, ever-moving. And as you celebrate the 250th, and you look back, because, again, it's been an evolutionary process, Eve, what are some of the things that you would say are, were defining moments along the way? Sure. I would think we spoke a little bit about the opening celebration that happened in March, but one of the things that we did not anticipate, you know, we had a presence in advertising at the airport and billboards on the highway and coverage in the Providence Journal and other spaces. But one of the things that we weren't sure, of course, was the weather. And also, although our messaging was all about, please come Providence, come Rhode Island and be a part of the celebration. Well, after the, the middle school students left campus on Friday afternoon, we then had a spectacular cake and fireworks show and then an open house that followed the following day. It is a March evening. You know this because you work in an outdoor event. We were outdoors. We were on the main green, sitting on the steps. And honestly, when I tell you that thousands of people came to enjoy and kick off this celebration with the university, it was incredible. Um, we ran out of 
the cake. We had every single piece of our 700-pound cake was enjoyed um, and just had a fireworks display that was just spectacular and fitting for the occasion. And and importantly, it also gave us a moment to all gather together. That was something we felt was really important to do on that opening weekend was, you know, our immediate community, but our, our, our surrounding community, the Brown family that's all around us. We wanted to bring them in. So that was exceptional. And then again, seeing families, we had, you know, younger uh, groups of school children that came to campus the following day, uh, students from the Barton Gregorian School, a friend got in touch and said, can we have our own, you know, kindergarten field trip to campus? And we're absolutely, here are the places you can go. And it was great. And just, you know, establishing new connections or making partnerships and collaborations that we already have with our community partners even stronger through the anniversary, as, as, as we've talked about, has been really significant. We just did, along that same line, a great program with Save the Bay, where we had a member of our faculty went on board their new vessel and did a history tour uh, of the ecology and history of Narragansett Bay Um from the boat, which was great and incredibly well-received with the uh, folks who attended and the Newport Historical Society we've worked with and the Rhode Island Historical Society and some more um, uh, growing organizations. Um, We are going to do a program with Science Underground, which is a newly developed um, organization that has some Brown student involvement but external partners as well to basically bring science out into the community, make it fun. We're going to have a night at the Avon in early December for that, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and another group that really uh, was great to partner with was Rimosa, which is the Rhode Island Museum of Science and Art. And they basically are a traveling museum that for children who have perhaps grown out of the most of the programming they do at the Children's Museum in Providence, they deliver hands-on programming that is more science museum oriented, which is great, and they partnered with us for the open house, so that was also terrific. So I think from the get-go, seeing the response and the interest from the community partners has been exceptional. And you've always done great outreach, um, and I think the way that I've seen Brown has exploded in terms of innovation and how you've really kind of move things. I know that um, our new president, it's Christine Paxton. Yes. Um, she's, what, the 19th president? She is the 19th. She came in in 2012. And she's created something called Building on Distinction, which is this plan that provides a vision to set broad goals to achieve higher levels of distinction. I mean, really reach that innovative side and the creative side. And the medical school and everything that's happening at Brown, to me, it's amazing. Again, it's almost like this big firework. Right. And this is also, there's a lot of opportunity through the 250th to, again, showcase to the broader community. We have partnered some of these areas. So one of the great things, we just had our fall celebration uh, at the end of September. And one of the exciting things that we did was actually having some of our open house program that showcased, as you mentioned, the building on distinction that uh Um, interdisciplinary areas of learning. So we had a programming in our computer science center that involved microbiologists and geologists in the computer science center talking about how and exposing the research that these students are actually doing and the students were doing demonstrations for guests who came through. And it was a perfect representation of you know, where Brown is heading and integrative themes within the plan and how we can, through our programming, help folks understand what that actually means, to yeah. present to them, whether it's programming that was happening in the Granoff Center, which is the Center for Creative Arts on campus, or other locations like the um, 
Computing and Information Technology Office. It's just spectacular to see the work that students are doing and that the boundaries between academic departments are um, basically melting away and that students have many different interests. And uh, our part of our goal was to, again, highlight how do we support what the plan is talking about and actually expose what our students are doing with the faculty so they have better understanding of where Brown is heading in the future. I mean, I, I just think that's great. And I know the diversity um, of the campus. And so when you actually take even that learning and, and, and switching the learning, so again, as you said, that those walls melt down between yeah. interdisciplinary and you can be part of the arts and you can kind of take the arts and see how they fit into science because an interesting little fact most people think that Barnaby Evans who created Water Fire I always get that did he go to RISD and I'm like no no he graduated from Brown University and he was studying it was something like it was either bioengineering or biochemistry or something like that. So it, it wasn't the arts that people think. And I think as we as we move ahead in life, and you can tell me your thoughts on this, and this is why I love Brown, it's a blend of all of these different talents that kind of create the new thinking and the new way of working in this brave new world that we move into. Sure. I, before I stepped into this role, I worked in alumni relations for a number of years, and we, um, the bulk of what I did was work on career programming yeah. with students and alumni, and I was always amazed at the paths that students would journey into and the, uh, the work that our alumni did. So you're absolutely right. There is, there historically has been this sort of you can concentrate in one area, and when you leave Brown, you can pursue something completely different that you as a graduate can find ties to what that academic learning uh, was, but I think that is even going to become more apparent as we move forward and the new types of learning and the types of classroom experiences and co-curricular experiences that students are having. It will continue on that trend, only even more magnified. And I have to say, at Waterfire, we have a lot of um, interns that come to us uh, in Brown University. We've had some incredible, incredible interns. I think, actually, we usually end up hiring them. Great. That's yeah. good to hear. <laughs> I think that's how it's been, actually, for the last few years. But um, that is why when I think you called Waterfire and we decided that we were going to do this big, large community event, there was so many, there was so much synergy there and, and why we were doing it. And one of the things, as we, as you say, imagine that you and Marissa Quinn and I and, and your whole team imagined when we were talking about what we were going to be doing at Waterfire is, Brown, you know, it, this is all about dreams and what we see in the 250th, we also know that Brown has played a very large part in many of the lives of uh, people from Providence and Rhode Island. We have a lot of people that went to Brown. Their children have gone to Brown. Um, so it, it's very, there's a lot of pride and it's very deep-rooted. So we invite people on Saturday to come down to Waterfire and in the star field where there's all those beautiful luminary candle yeah, lanterns, right. you know, pick up one of the luminary candle lanterns and you can write what Brown meant to you, what it means to you, if you're an alumni or if you're a current student, what you dream for in the future. And we would love to be able to capture all of those and, and show them to people. That would be it, great. Yeah. I think we've actually branded those uh, semi-quincentenary sentiments I, thanks and you to your just office. Got, that just rolled right off your tongue. I practice. <laughs> you're getting good at that. Good. So, yeah, so we've got the fire. I, I think we'll tell everybody once again that it's a... It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful night, and we are looking at some fantastic weather. A little bit chilly, um, but chilly is good because it's fall, and if it wasn't chilly, there'd be something wrong. 
I think. Anyway, but sunset is at 5.51 on Saturday, and uh, the fires will be lit shortly after that. And you can walk around and enjoy the fires and be part of the community. There's an arts festival plaza, which shows all the incredible art um, from local artists that we have. And Eve, is there anything else that you would like to say before we have to leave? Sure. We're just so pleased that we're partnering with Water Fire for this coming weekend. As you mentioned, it also um, is family weekend at Brown. So it is both a wonderful way for us to say thank you and partner with an institution that we uh, really uh, work well with and care a lot for and has done so much for our city. And it's also a great opportunity for families that are new to Providence to discover both campus as well as all that Providence has to offer and the excitement and wonderfulness that is Water Fire. Well, we're excited to have you with us. And I know if somebody wants to find out more information about all the other events, what's the website Sure, to the to? website is 250.brown.edu and there is a calendar of events and there is a lot of incredible programming that, again, is going to be happening throughout May of 2015. So I welcome everyone to be a part of it. Get us in touch with us if you have any questions. Well, thank you so much and thank you to the listeners. We are listening to AM790, your station for talk in business. And we will be back soon to talk more about water fire and now our salute to veterans. And hello, 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 and welcome back. You are listening to Waterfire Ignites Rhode Island here on AM790, your station for talk and business, and I am Bronwyn Dannenfelzer. I am your host, and we just had a great conversation with Eith Ornstedt, who is the executive director of the office of the 250th anniversary of Brown University, and I think in that half an hour, I learned more about Brown than I've ever known. Um, great school, and we are so excited that they are our, uh, our partners for this upcoming lighting on Saturday, and even in the break, I just learned that that who knew? It was originally called the College of Rhode Island, and then it was bought by the Brown family. And the actual letter that uh, was made with the $5,000 contribution transferring the name from the College of Rhode Island to Brown is actually at the John Carter Brown Library. Um, so if you ever get the, a chance to go see that, uh, quite remarkable is uh, what Eve tells me, and I'm, I'm sure she's right. But now we are going to be switching uh, our mode a little bit here and moving from this weekend's fire to talk more about our water fire salute to veterans. Um, one of the largest fires that we will have this year, including so many different groups, and really a tribute to the men and women that have served uh, our country and that continue to serve our country. And it's just, uh, it, it really is one of the, my favorite fires, I will definitely say. So I'm really pleased to have here with me um, Jim Heyman, nicknamed Seal. I can call you Jim or Seal. Take your pick. I don't matter. All right. Maybe we'll mix it up a little bit here and that there. That works for me. <laughs> and Jim is the uh, chairman of the board of a group called Rolling Thunder, uh, the Rhode Island Chapter 1 here in Rhode Island. And I was introduced, Jim, to Rolling Thunder last year at Operation Stand Down, which I had gone to their big event, which was happening. I forget when. Was it in September, maybe? Uh, I believe it was. Uh Meeting you there was exceptional because when we heard all about water fire and we were going to be part of it, we had no idea what it was going to be like or what it was, but everybody was enthused. And then we had to sit down and think of, gee, what are we going to do at water fire? I mean, I know we promote POW, MIA advocacy. Uh, we try to help veterans. What is it we can do at water fire that people will understand why we do what we do? 
And that's when we came up with the idea of the Soldier's Cross, the missing man table, explanations of each. They're both symbolisms, but yet to the veteran, they mean very much uh, to the individual who sees the table and who witnesses the Soldier's Cross. Uh, we have been told that when we've done the Soldier's Cross at events, grown men cry because it's it's that deep and that emotional. Well, you know, I, those are the what um, Jim is explaining here is that last year, uh, as part of the salute to veterans in Memorial Park, there was a Soldier's Cross ceremony, which I'd like to talk about and go into a little bit more detail in a few minutes, um, as well as the missing man table, which is what I saw you doing when I went to Operation Stand Down. But just to give people a little bit of background, um, we know you're the chairman of the board, um, Vietnam veteran, Jim? Uh, I am a Vietnam veteran. I served 64 to 68 Navy. Uh, we have veterans in the organization, but it's not made up just for veterans. It's made up for people who, whose heart is in to help a veteran who's in need. Uh, there are so many people out there who want to donate time and effort and just don't really know how. Uh, Rolling Thunder is an organization. It's not a motorcycle organization. Well, it's, it's funny because some people would think that because of the name. It, it, the name Rolling Thunder, everyone assumes it's a motorcycle organization, but yet it is not. Uh, we are out to help veterans. The motorcycles are like a, uh, I don't know, a sideshow, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, they also get the point across because being loud, people pay attention. Okay. So... We just like to have people with a heart as big as gold who can see a man that needs help to jump in and do anything that they can. Uh, it, it's not a matter of you have to be. It's all volunteer. It, it has to come from the heart, whatever it is you've got to do, and you've got to really want to do it. Uh, to not want to do it. So, so do you do a lot of outreach then? So does Rolling Thunder reach out to veterans, or do veterans know of the organization or somebody who might need help and come to you? With the, with the help of Operation Stand Down and, and other organizations, we kind of see what's going on and see who needs help with whatever needs to be doing. Uh, We've we just been so lucky to have people come to us and ask us for help, not necessarily veterans, but other organizations who want to see the Soldiers Cross done or have something done by us that makes people aware of what it is and what we do. All the monies we receive or that we accept go strictly to the veterans. Nothing goes for paychecks or anything of that nature. We devote all the money and the time to help veterans in any way we can. Do you also, and I bring this up because I know, again, the big focus that I was reading about in the mission was helping veterans, but also really bringing attention to the prisoners of war and missing in action. Do you that, work with their families at all? The POW MIA situation, it, it's so vast and there are so many families. Here in Rhode Island, I'm not really sure uh, if we have any families. Uh, I, I, I apologize for being ignorant on that fact, but... We don't. We would if there were. Yeah. Uh, but national itself, that's their main cause is POW MIA recognition, 
and yet we help all vets from all wars because they shouldn't be forgotten. Yeah, and so as as part of your group, I was asking you um, before we came on, how many members are there as part of Rolling Thunder? Uh, we originally started out with 18 members. All right. And we're looking to get more because the more help you get, the more you can do for people. Uh, we have our meetings at Post 14, Cumberland, Rhode Island, second Monday of every month. Uh, we invite anybody to come in, sit at a meeting. Uh, you're allowed to speak. You have an opinion. Uh, it's not like you come and sit there and be like a bump on a log. If you have an opinion, you speak it and it's accepted and discussed if it's possible. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that the organization lets you do that. They feel if you're part of something, then certain individuals have the final say. Well, that's not true. And how did you come to be connected with Rolling Thunder? It, it all started with curiosity. Uh, I attend Memorial Day weekend, Rolling Thunder. I have been for the past nine years. And with that, they call it something other than a demonstration, but there's over a million motorcycles there, then plus veterans. And I kept seeing Rolling Thunder and wondering what it was all about. Once I found out what it was about, it was hard to get into it because there was no organization here in Rhode Island. That's well, right. That started in 1995. So yes. it, it's so it, and I knew nothing about it. And fortunately, I happened to go online and saw the one at Cumberland. And like I just said, I decided to attend the meeting and see what it's all about. And I saw a group of hardworking people trying to help veterans. And being one, I said, well, that's for me. But we're going to have to attend a couple of meetings, see where they're really coming from. So after two years, I wind up being chairman of the board. and They sucked you right in, huh? <laughs> sucked me right in, and here I am. Well, I, I'm glad that you're there because, again, last year when uh, we were just planning for the first annual Salute to Veterans, and I saw what you did at Operation Stand Down, it really blew my mind. It moved me, and I had tears in my eyes, and that's why I immediately went up and introduced myself. So when you were able to, and without hesitation, Ron Hawkins, I spoke to. I think I spoke to you and, the, and a couple other people. And when I told you what we were doing, it was without hesitation. Yes, we will be there, and yes, we will help, and we will do whatever we can. And one of the amazing things um, that you did do, again, is a Soldier's Cross ceremony. And could you describe what that is? Uh, it's basically when you look at the Soldier's Cross, you'll see a tombstone. You'll see a rifle, helmet, boots, and dog tags. Well, basically that, to me, that represents someone that has fallen that's never forgotten. And that's why on the stone it says never forgotten. There are gold star mothers and families out there who've lost sons and daughters. And, and once the symbolism of the stone is done it kind of hits home and they realize it just means we haven't forgotten who they are or where they are. And it's really, it's more than just something that's there and stationary. It's an actual ceremony. And I saw it last year and it was repeated over and over, which I thought was really nice because, as you know, people walk through water fire. Yes. And I, I know a lot of people would just stop. And because it's positioned one piece at a time. 
and it, it's the type of ceremony where each piece is not just run up and put there and or thrown in place. It's put there with love. It's put there with sincerity. And everyone that does whatever piece of material goes on that soldier's cross, it comes from the heart. Which is exactly what it sounds like the work of Rolling Thunder, just the organization itself, does when you're yes, working with veterans. So I really want to thank you for that. That's um, important. And you being part of the Water Fire Celebration is really one of the joys that we have. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about, we won't have a lot of time, but I'd like to talk about the missing man table. I'd like to talk about some of the things that we can expect to see Rolling Thunder doing and how we, the listeners, can help support what it is that you're doing because it's really important yes you're listening to am 790 talk in business we will be right back and i am here and i am talking to jim or and we're talking about the water fire salute to veterans and rolling thunder find out who they are And hello, hello, hello. You're listening to Waterfire Ignites Rhode Island, and I am your host, Bronwyn Dannenfelter, and we are talking with Jim Heyman from Rolling Thunder, the chairman of the board. Uh, they are a contributor and uh, support and sponsor of ours at the Waterfire Salute to Veterans and just an amazing group. And we were just talking about the ceremonies um, and the Soldier's Cross ceremony that Rolling Thunder does. But also uh, last year, um, Jim, there was the missing man table. Can you just... I know that's. I don't know how to really describe what it is. It's a. The the missing man table. It's a round table with a white tablecloth, and there are objects on the table. Each object on the table has a meaning about the individual that's not sitting at that table. It represents the person that is no longer with us, but is not forgotten. And the chair and the table is set so that he, in any way he wishes, can join us. You know, it's, and it's really neat because everything on that table has a very specific symbolic meaning. And I know we're going to be putting it up on the Waterfire um, website because you and I don't have that much time right now. So I'd like everybody to go and go to our salutetoveterans.org and, and really see. It. It's rather beautiful, but even better, come to Waterfire on November 8th and bear witness to um, it hopefully being there. I'm pretty sure it might be there. And I also wanted to talk, Jim, Rolling Thunder is not only with all that you do a lot of different events but we were talking about there's something that's really exciting and new about these chairs that you've got being placed. Yeah, uh, we have been very fortunate to partner with a company and we will be putting POW MIA missing man chairs in town halls uh, Rolling Thunder Rhode Island has been fortunate to be able to we have one going, I think, Pawtucket City Hall, one in Cumberland City Hall. Uh, we're working on Green Airport. We have one going at the Dunk Center, and we also have one going to put into the State House as soon as they have the opportunity to schedule it for us. So it's very exciting that we can put these chairs in remembrance of men that we've lost so that everyone that travels in all these venues can actually realize that they're not forgotten. I think that's really beautiful. And I know that also Rolling Thunder, I wanted to actually put out the website, um, put the website out there so that anybody who might be interested in finding out more about Rolling Thunder could actually 
um, reach out. And I thought I had the website. I do. It's www.rollingthunderri1.com. So we'll put that up on the Waterfire um, Facebook page as well. But there's also a Facebook page. So I'm sure if you look up Rolling Thunder. Thunder, It'll be on a Facebook page the same way. Yeah. So, But Rolling Thunder R.I. R.I. Because, uh, again, these guys are doing amazing, amazing work. Um, Stepped right up to the plate when Waterfire asked them to participate in the Salute to Veterans. And I know that, uh, Jim, you participated last year. Yes, I did. You were very gracious and said that it meant a real lot to you. And it is our pleasure at Waterfire to be able to give back and say thank you for your service and everything that you have done. Brown, on behalf of all the veterans, we thank you. While you have been listening to Waterfire Ignites Rhode Island, we are talking about November 8th and the salute to veterans. And, you know, Rolling Thunder, this incredible group that's helping veterans all around um, and making sure that we do not forget. Everybody have a great day, and hopefully I will see you on Saturday down by the river.